1: Standing by the Terry and Ted podcast is sponsored by the UPS Store Canada. <laughs> I look like the Lollipop Man, <laughs> Lollipop Man, and Birdman here for standing by the podcast. You know what I got stuck in my head? What is that Billy uh, Joel song? Heart attack, act, 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 act. because we have David Iker on with us. Today. Oh, that's right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And this isn't going to be any fun at no, all. I don't know if you know David owns a chain of funeral homes. Yes, and uh, <laughs> we're going to be discussing the bereavement process. Yeah. <clears throat>
1: we're already telling stupid stories. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Go um, I'm Terry DeMonte. That's Ted Bird. Standing by is the name of the podcast. Thanks so much uh, for joining us. Before we get started, we have to say thank you uh, to our supporters. Um, and we have several of them and they are longtime supporters of our have been for many years and i was just saying to david we feel very very lucky that uh you know we can do this podcast um because of the the grace and 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 the support from these uh families that we've been speaking on their behalf for for many many years so i didn't properly structure that sentence, but you know what I'm saying. It's the five families, too. We
2: have five sponsors, Mm -hmm. family-run businesses. Um,
1: And our title sponsor is uh, the UPS Store Canada. If you run a business, you probably already know about the UPS Store Canada. Um, You know, one of the things they do that we haven't talked about that I love is mailbox services. A lot of people don't know this, um, but they offer uh, mailbox rentals. So you can do mail forwarding, Um, they can collect your packages if you're out of town a lot and you don't want the Porch Pirates taking your packages off. You can have them delivered to a UPS store in your community. There are 370 stores across country, and all of them are run by an entrepreneur that lives in your community. So they know what it's like to run a small business, and you don't have to have a small business to go into a UPS store. If you've got uh, something fragile you need to ship to an ant in Saskatchewan, they can handle that. Um, They can package things for you. They can ship things for you. They can shred important documents. They can help you with passport photos. All the things that surround running a house or running a business, the UPS Store Canada can help you with. And all of the people, like I said, that run them understand how important it is to you to get packages out on time and and uh, to make sure things don't get broken, that documents are signed and arrive on time when you've got a deal going, they can handle anything to make your business sing. It's the UPS Store Canada. You go to the website, the upsstore.ca, and our thanks to David Drucker and the over 300 locations and entrepreneurs at the UPS store across
2: the country. Why would you shred important documents? (laughs) Have you seen those important documents of mine? Oh,
0: shit. I told you to sign those.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Idiot. (laughs) Our guest today is a longtime friend um, who... Has invited me for breakfast a thousand fucking times. It sounds a little creepy when you put it like that. And and no, but you know what? I want to go to when, breakfast. <laughs> when I when I saw you, I felt guilty because uh, oh. God bless um, my good friend Esteban, who produced the morning show for so many years. And was... sounds like he's passed away. Well, no, he, <laughs> God bless him. You know, yeah. he's he's not a producer well, anymore. He had a good run. Yeah. He did. He did good. He was a he was a great producer and a, a great big part of a very successful run. At the radio station and every, probably once a month he'd say, Acker and Joey are having breakfast and they'd that's like right. you to join. And every time I would say no, I hope you didn't think I was being an arsehole. I was usually just going to sleep. That's what we figured. <laughs> we, we knew the timing wasn't
0: great. But uh, Joey and I, ironically for comedians, are both morning people. Yeah, that's uh, odd. Yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not normal. Uh, it makes those late shows challenging, yeah, I can tell you that. no
1: kidding. Uh, David Acker is, uh, well, let's talk about his history, shall we?
2: Well, holy smokes, <laughs> yes. is, what hasn't he done? He's, uh, <laughs> he's a, a comedian. He's a magician. A club owner. <laughs> a club owner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A,
1: a, a breakfast me- haver. A, a breakfast <laughs> haver. A mentor of uh, young comedians. A supporter of the comic scene across the country. A uh, dog wrangler.
0: I don't well, know about wrangling, not not wrangling. Yeah. but
1: you have magic dogs, don't you?
0: I, uh, boy, that's a <laughs> that's quite a metaphor. <laughs> uh, I do have magic dogs. Thank you, Terry. <laughs> Um I uh I did work uh, there's a wonderful uh, national um organization called the Super Dogs. Yes. And they have um uh these are all family pets yep. uh of uh wonderful trainers across the country and they come together to do shows uh typically during the summer, although they work all year. Uh, in huge venues, in arenas, Um, and uh, for quite a few years, I wrote uh, shows for them and with them, Um, and these things would tour over the summer and hit over a million people, Um, really uh, uh, a huge fan base, Uh, so although I don't have a dog myself, I had an opportunity to work with these people with amazing dogs and fell in love with all of them. Didn't you just do
1: it? Because I... I I I saw you were going to be out in British Columbia
0: last summer. Last was summer last I was summer? part of a show uh, okay. that we put together that was uh, sort of a tribute to h- superhero movies called Pa Avengers. Okay, uh, and that uh, we were in BC at the PNE for yes. uh, for the whole and run, which was fifteen or eighteen uh, days. Or I was
1: trying not to die at the time, and that's why I didn't get in touch with. And you, you. do the I animation yeah. too. I Dave, still you
0: found did... it a bit selfish. Yeah, it was. You <laughs> couldn't make it. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> You do
2: the uh, announcing at those shows uh, Not as all well? of them, but I
0: happen to be there uh, at the p uh, okay. hosting. But they have all sorts of hosts all over the country um, uh, who do great work. It's a really uh, uh, amazing uh, experience, and I was lucky to be part of it.
1: It's just dawned on me that part of your trademark is your glasses. Am I mistaken about that? I'd
0: love to trademark glasses. I feel like I could collect some (laughs) dough on that. Um, No,
1: but it's part of your look. Like, I'm looking at, where do you get these? These are beautiful glasses. These are nice
0: glasses. I got these somewhere downtown. As I understand it, more people are ordering glasses online now Uh than walking into stores. I still like to walk into a store, try things on. Um, And I've I've been wearing glasses since I was a kid. I used to do material about it in my set. I had a bit about... um, what was it? Everybody in my family, uh, all the guys in my family wear glasses. Uh, we, uh, My uncle has glasses that are like this. So you ever see those, the Coke bottle glasses? Uh, we tried getting him contact lenses a couple of years ago, but he couldn't close his eyes over them. <laughs> so a couple of test tubes. <laughs> That was a bit I used to do in the '90s.
1: It still it still resonates. Yeah. It's, yes. a good yeah.
0: bit. Yes. it's a good bit. I uh, I ordered glasses
2: online a few years ago and wore them for two years and didn't see a goddamn thing. Wow! <laughs> yeah, and then I went back to the optometrist and I got the I got the right prescription and I bought these and these are Hugo Boss frames. They look so, great. So they weren't cheap, but they work. And they do look good. And I've had more than one woman tell me, "Hey, you look good in those." And that I don't, counts for something.
1: I don't, there's some things I don't understand about the internet and ordering pants, glasses, <laughs> anything you can't try on. Yeah, yeah or, right. or yeah. a car. Ooh, right. I see the the ads on TV lately for you know order a car online and and the car is on a tow truck and pulls up in front of your house. I'm not buying a car without driving it. You're not home. They leave it in the lobby of yeah. the apartment building. <laughs> right. Somebody yeah, was, takes hey, it.
0: Hey, hey, your car's here. <laughs> what apartment is this for? <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. I, its glasses are the same way. Don't you want to stand in front of yeah, a mirror? yeah? And... Absolutely. There's all yeah. sorts of variations.
2: Uh, I was just being cheap, and uh, yeah. it was the, it was the wrong way to go. Yeah, but, you yeah. know, it's worth spending the extra money. Yeah, something like a... frugal. Frugal, yeah. I think it would be. No, I don't no, think I you can cheap. say cheap anymore. Well a... a... okay, No. Sorry. What an it's old tricky. guy conversation yeah. to be having. Yeah, ain't? really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Damn
1: internet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, David, let's let's. I want to talk about or start at the the beginning, not the very beginning, but I remember, I don't know how this happened, but Ted and I got involved in the Montreal comedy scene on the periphery as radio announcers. We tried to support as much as we could. And we ended up arriving on the Montreal comedy scene at a time where it was really, uh, it was really beginning to, to bubble over with talent. There was you know, you and Joey Elias and John Rogers and uh, uh, John Keene. Sean Keen, Sean Keen, Heidi Foss,
0: Barry Julian, yeah, Jeff, um, Roth R- R- Roth Pan. Pan, uh, yeah, Jeff Rothpan, Jeff
1: Rothpan. You know, yeah. they, there was this this massive amount of of talent, and there was a wave. There was a wave, and and, and part of a part of what I I think helped accelerate that wave was the Montreal show. Because it was a showcase, Ted and I hosted this show for the Just For Last people, and that's where we became exposed to this amazing comedy scene. I remember saying to Ted, I think the very first night at Club Soda, I said, Jesus Christ, there, this is quite an array of really talented people all in one
0: place. There, there was a, a confluence of heavy hitters at the time. So I guess we're going back to the early mid 90s. Yeah. Uh, and um, and for the people who don't know, uh, uh, some of the names that we've mentioned, jo- Jeff Rothpan is a Montreal comic who went on to do The Tonight Show, I think, five times. Yep. Barry Julian is now co-executive producer of The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. John Rogers went on to, um, uh, he's a producer on shows like Leverage. I think he co-created The Librarians or certainly is a producer on that. Um, so these people, uh, uh, Heidi Foss has a, uh, her first animated feature film uh, hitting movie theaters this fall. Wow. Um, so that, the core group of people, and that's just a handful of them, there's more to speak of. Um, the core group of people from that era uh, were hard workers, heavy hitters, knew how to take take the stage for five, six, seven minutes uh, and rip the room apart, and nobody wanted to follow anybody else. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. all the styles were very different. Uh, Sean Keene is another example. Uh, he's passed away, but Sean was the first one from that era to get a significant TV show. Um, he did, back in the day, uh, and it was rare for Canadians to get this, he got um, uh, uh, Caroline's Comedy Hour, uh, and those – that other than late night television like The Tonight Show, um, shows on A&E like Evening at the Improv, Comedy on the Road, Caroline's Comedy Hour, they were um, – if you were starting to get those, you were starting to get noticed by the industry and outside of the industry. And Sean was uh, uh, the first from that era to get a significant TV show – um, so you know, Sean would come back from that, and we we're all you know looking at the God that is Sean Keen, and and I mean that in in the most positive yeah, way. Yeah, so it was it was a there was a real energy where um, we were supportive, we were competitive, um, and uh, uh, it, it, and it was all happening at the same time. There's certainly lots of great talent in Montreal right now. Yeah, but it's more fragmented.
1: All right, I I thought Sean I thought Sean Keen was going to be a huge star. His style was so unique and it was so different. And a little odd and off-putting. If you'd never seen him before, you were like, what the hell is this guy yeah. out about? But he was so talented. And I remember John Rogers um, shot this pilot, which I thought was terrific, but CBS didn't think it was so terrific. And it's okay because now he has a parking spot at one of the big studios in Hollywood. He's doing so fine, yeah. He's doing okay. Yeah. It really was a, a hell of a run. And, and my to take it back to you, you were part of
0: it. How did you become part of it? Well, I came into it through a back door, really. I was doing magic uh, I was a magician. Um, so I turned up on stage. at a com- I, uh, uh, There was a comedian and is a comedian by the name of Rick Bronson mm-hmm. uh, in Montreal who moved away from the city. He was one of my closest friends, is one of my closest friends. Uh, he opened a comedy club in Edmonton. He has a couple in the States now as well. And in BC. Uh, and in BC. That's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, more, more recently in BC. Uh, Rick was a magician. I was a magician. He was starting to do stand-up comedy and transitioning his act into stand-up and was doing very well locally. Um, and uh, I was looking on that and thought that there was already kind of a humorous angle in my in my close-up side of hand magic, and I thought maybe I'd try stand-up. But I was um, I was too chicken to just tell jokes. So I and my first time on stage at a comedy club was with two other comedians. We went on stage as we were called the running gags. Uh, And it was me, Barry Julian, who we've mentioned, and Richard Sanders, a wonderful uh, magician who still lives in Montreal, very innovative, has created a whole bunch of material that other magicians have done around the world. Um, And we went on stage together because none of us really had the balls to just go up alone and tell jokes. And we did a three man magic act. Um, and that sort of, uh, some things worked from that. And then uh, we each started doing our own stuff separately. Um, and I found that when I was doing magic and mixing it with jokes, the jokes were starting to do better than the magic. Uh, particularly at a comedy club, you want a kind of a high laughs per minute ratio. Um, so I was starting to write more jokes and they were getting laugh, laugh, laugh. And then I'd take out a deck of cards and everything would kind of slow down. So that's when I realized, okay, the, the uh, scales have tipped a little bit. And I put away the magic and just started writing stand-up. And that was the transition for me, but it was a, an odd way in uh, for sure. Hmm. You know?
2: How do you become a magician?
0: Uh, you have to be very lonely. <laughs> 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 uh, when I was a kid, I got a, um, a magic trick in my stocking, uh, a trick that magicians will recognize. It's called a, a ball in vase. And the trick is that you, uh, at a, its most fundamental level, that you have a little plastic vase and you open it and there's a a red ball inside. And then when you close it, snap your fingers and open it again, the ball is gone. It's self-working. And I was fascinated, not so much by the trick of it, but by the mechanics of it. Um, And because I was interested in the mechanics of it, my mother saw that. I wasn't really into sports. I wasn't really doing anything else. She found out there was a magic store in Montreal. She brought me down to the magic store. And I was introduced to this whole world of um, uh, mechanical devices uh, that can fool people. Uh, I I was nine at the time, and I would show that trick to adults, and they would be fooled. So Mm -hmm. now a nine year old is fooling adults. I thought that was interesting.
2: Um, (laughs) It's it's the phone, Terry. This isn't awkward at all. That's my mother, by the way. (laughs) It's very. uh, Don't (laughs) give away any secrets of magic. (laughs) That's right. That's (laughs)
1: Copperfield. What did you tell them? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Sorry about that. Uh, So uh, all that to say, um, uh, I was drawn into the world of magic by the mechanics of these tricks. And then after a year or two, I started to come up with my own tricks at a fundamental level. And um, one or two of them started to fool other magicians. And it turns out that I was thinking in a way that some magicians hadn't been thinking. And I realized I might have um, uh, a bit of a skill uh, for this. So I started inventing tricks and uh, writing them and submitting them to magic magazines, and some of them started to get published, and that was the path for me. So it was wow. really more so of the totally side.
2: self-taught.
0: Uh, at the time, I, I don't think it's fair to say self-taught, uh, unlike today where you can go on YouTube or Instagram and get tutorials for anything. Um, at the time, if you wanted to learn magic, you had to read books. You had to meet other magicians. You had to go where magicians were. Okay, so Um, so did you
2: find a mentor or mentors? Uh,
0: At the time, the the mentor for me was the magic store and the owners of the magic store, Phil and Evelyn Matlin, Mm -hmm. uh, who owned that magic store and had for years and did for years afterwards. Uh, It's a magic store called Perfect Magic, and they were very much my mentors. They would steer me towards uh, content, tricks, books that they knew I could handle, that I, they knew I was ready for. And when I learned a little more, they would steer me towards some stuff that was more challenging. So in that sense, I would say they were my mentors. Uh, but at the time, uh, you really needed to learn from other magicians or from books. It mm. was it was more challenging. Uh, and I think as a result, to some degree, more rewarding too. Um, uh, now, um, if somebody sees a trick that fools them and they know – a keyword or two that are in line with that trick, they can enter that into YouTube and usually find out how it's done. Right. Um, and that uh, spoils the magic, I would say, in more ways than one.
2: Do you still dabble when you do stand-up? Do you still dabble in magic? Uh,
0: if I'm doing a long set, 45 minutes, uh, I have a trick I came up with that I actually published in one of my books um, where I go into the, I have a deck of cards and I have six people choose a card. And I tell them, magicians never do this because uh, we can't follow this many cards. I have no idea what cards you've chosen. And then they all come on stage. Uh, and it allows for a whole lot of interaction. And then somebody in the audience, I gave a folded up prediction at the beginning of the show. And I asked them to mix up the people on the stage. And then that person picks a person. And that person shows the card they picked. And then the person in the audience unfolds the prediction. And it's the card uh, that that person picked. So... All that to say, because there's so much audience interaction with that, it allowed me to keep the laughs per minute up. Right, Mm, Um, yeah. uh, So the deck of cards didn't slow me down. It actually kind of sped me up. I had to go into the crowd and run around. Um, So that I'll still do every now and then and close with a trick like that.
1: I I forgot, you're extremely well known in, is it the magician community? Magic community? is that I, pu-
0: I published a few books, yeah. and as a result of that, I was invited to lecture. Yes. Uh, I performed at the Magic Castle a bunch of times. Wow. Uh, so I've toured a lot doing that. I haven't for quite a few years. My last Magic book was out in 2011 or 2012. Um, so uh, that would be the last time I did a big tour connected with that. But, um, but there was a period where I was uh, very active in the community, writing for magazines, and um, uh, very invested in what other people were coming up with as right. well.
1: Um, was that, I'm trying to figure out how to, you know, was that, um, you know, like hockey players have an innate talent. You know, I used to say, uh, nobody taught Gila Fleur how to skate. He knew how to skate. Right. People helped him polish that skill, but that skill was already there. Right. Do you believe that to be true about magicians?
0: Uh, well, you're talking about a few different things. There's, there's a skill uh, for developing and inventing tricks, okay. which I think is a mental skill. And yeah. I think that um, uh, that's one path. There's a skill, uh, uh, a, a technical skill, um, and then there's a performance skill. Okay. Uh, it's pretty rare that all three of those meet. Uh, there are definitely a handful of guys out there who can do all of them. Um, but, uh, but I would say in all cases, they're innate Um, and you're right, you kind of polish them off. Usually somebody's a little better at one than another, um, so they have to work harder at one of them. And when you're on
1: stage doing, um, you know, either speaking about magic or performing magic, does it compare to the buzz from comedy? Uh,
0: That's a very interesting question. Um, It's a different type of rewarding. Uh, And also the goals of those two arts are polar opposites. The goal, um, of standup ultimately is truth. So the, f- we all know that ultimately the funniest things are the things that seem truest. Right. Um, the goal of magic is deception.
1: Ah, okay. So
0: it's actually challenging to marry those two things. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, people's experience of them are different. So, um, when you've, had a particularly uh, good stand-up set. Um there's a warmth in the room because everybody has experienced some co- kind of a common truth. When you've had a particularly good magic show, uh they're impressed that they were deceived, they were entertained, but I don't know about that warmth. Mm. Okay.
1: That's fascinating to I me. Mean, that's right. a, that's a fascinating overview of it. I um I'm I'm wondering is that why you because you've, you've kind of veered off, correct me if I'm wrong, in the last... I will. The, <laughs> la- the last 10, or 10, 12 years, you're more invested in the business side of things now, are you not?
0: Yes. So yeah. uh, uh, I guess somewhere around 12 years ago, the comedy Nest, which which c- thankfully continues to be, but at the time was certainly an institution yeah. in Montreal, uh, was... It looked like they were going to close. Um, Ernie Butler, the founder of the Nest, had passed away uh, his kids had taken over operating the club, were doing a terrific job, but it wasn't really their world. They had their own things they wanted to move on to. So they were trying to sell it or or at least pass it along. Um, and myself and um, uh, a business partner uh, who also uh, had a background in stand-up by the name of Phil Shushat yeah. uh, took over the club. Um, and as it turns out, uh, although I have a, an okay mind for business, I guess I, I was a bit naive in terms of how much you have to invest personally, uh, when you take over um, a business like that,
2: time, uh, money, or
0: both—more, uh, uh, more time. I mean, ultimately, there's money involved as well. Uh, but in theory, it's generating revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but certainly, in terms of time, what I was sort of hoping that you could go in, uh, kind of rebuild the model uh, for a couple of years, and then step back right. and let it run itself. It turns out you have to be more hands-on, um, particularly with something um, like a comedy club, where there's where there's so many moving parts. Uh, the programming varies from night to night, um, uh, and as a result, the audience varies from night to night, and the marketing varies from week to week. Um, you really have to be present. Um, so uh, so when we took over the comedy nest, it did take me away from some of the other things I was doing, um, including uh, developing new magic tricks and other other stuff like that, uh, for sure.
2: You mentioned Phil Shushat. Phil had one of my favorite jokes of all time about the... Israeli curling team. It's made up entirely of Filipinos because that's who sweeps for the Jews. (laughs) (laughs) That's a
1: perfect lead in to comedy today and where society has pushed comedy to go and where Twitter is pushing comedians to go. What's your take on the state of, oh boy, you can't do jokes about that.
0: Well, uh, society has always steered the course of, uh, I presume, every art, but certainly I've lived it with comedy. So it's not it's not just today. I think people are more empowered uh, uh, to steer the course than they used to be uh, because of social media. Um, it seems to me there's still an audience for almost everything, uh, but it's become more fractal. Um, so comedians who are particularly dirty now have an audience that's, that 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 appeals to um, uh, and all the variations and varieties of that. Um, uh, There's certainly still an audience. There's lots of comedy clubs, uh, comedians uh, finding their audience. Um, Is there anything that makes you
1: hesitate, Dave?
0: That wouldn't have made you hesitate 10 years ago? Everything. (laughs) Uh, You want to think twice or three times about everything now for sure. Uh, but as a comedian, you know, your first um, goal when you sit down to write is, is this funny? And then you look at the other potential um, uh, challenges with a particular bit. Um, but I mean, there's, if you go back through the eras, there's, you know, stuff in the early 1900s you wouldn't be doing now right. uh, uh, that was offensive for all sorts of different reasons. And each era has, uh, has its uh, challenges in that regard. Um, and we're in a new era right now for that, for sure.
1: But isn't it, isn't comedy supposed to be part of social commentary and pushing boundaries? Aren't, aren't you supposed to push boundaries? And aren't, isn't it okay to be offended once in a while?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you're talking about a few different things there. Um, uh, I remember um, somebody at Just for Laughs once telling me that um, uh, despite the branding and marketing of The Nasty Show, they would still get complaints Right. following right. shows, people that were offended by something. And at the time, it was shocking to me that you could go to something called The Nasty Show yeah. and send an email complaint about being offended. <laughs> um, so, you know, whether people are offended Jesus by things, uh, you know, that's, that's a wide, you cast a wide net with that question. Uh, there's things to be legitimately offended by. Um, and then there's other stuff. Um, uh, but certainly every institution has had to react to that in, in terms of comedy has had to react to that in some way. Right. You just have to. Yeah, I just, I find it, you know,
1: uh, I'll, I'll give you an example, and I, maybe this doesn't count. I'm a massive Louis C.K. fan. I saw Louis C.K. at the uh, at Club Soda with Ted, and when he came out on stage, I remember saying to Ted, what, what kind of name is that? What a stupid name. Is that his last name or what? It... Anyway, he was on stage for about four seconds when Ted and I were doubled over. And we'd never heard anything that clever. And we'd never heard anything that vulgar. You know, I'm I'm not going to do it any justice. But, you know, he said he wanted to uh, make a lot of money and donate to a hospital and get them to open a wing and change his name to Cunty McShitball so that they would have to... <laughs> You
2: know that that have kind to name of it the country <laughs> McShitballs yeah. Cancer Institute. <laughs> <laughs> I don't,
0: I don't know if you know this, but Bob Hope used to do that. <laughs> Louis ripped it off from Bob Hope.
2: But
1: and, the thing about Louis, C. and C. now you're not allowed to like him.
0: But, oh, but I still like him. I, and,
1: and and you know, and that was because of of some you know, admittedly despicable
2: behavior. But he even he's such a good comic. He made fodder. From that and on his album, he said he said, Do you want to talk about it? Yeah. And the crowds, yeah, yeah. talk about and it. And he's he already said, back. Yeah, and he's, he's back. He's he, doing he shows, said, he's back. He said, I like to masturbate and I don't like to be alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I haven't heard that. Wow. <laughs> but that's clever and well crafted and relevant, and he's and he's 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 uh, um pointing the he's laughing at himself. Yeah in that instance. Yeah. And I think so much of it has to do, Dave, with how well crafted the joke is. And I think Phil's joke about the Israeli, about the Filipinos on the Israeli curling team is a perfect example. That is a well crafted, intelligent
1: joke. But today you could be accused of being racist.
2: Well, I don't know. I don't think Phil could. I, that might be a case of Phil can get away with it because he's Jewish. I yeah, don't okay. know. There's maybe, a line maybe. that yeah. I use when I, uh, and I don't do stand up as regularly as David, but when I do, there's a line that I use. Uh, that always gets a laugh, and I talk about exactly what we're talking about now. We live in touchy times, and it seems like you can't say anything without somebody getting offended. And I blame the Jews. (laughs) And it always gets a laugh because people understand, and I point out afterwards... I'm not blaming the Jews. I'm using irony right, yeah. as a comedic device right. because over the centuries, the Jews were blamed for everything, right? right. right? And the Jews laughed the hardest at that joke.
0: Right. I don't know how much, uh, how often people have tried to use irony as a defense. <laughs> I don't know if it would hold up in a court of law, that's for sure. I didn't mean to rob the bank, I was being ironic. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> uh, is so that, he, um, uh, well, uh, I can't speak for Phil. Would he do that joke on stage today? Uh, Phil doesn't do stand-up anymore. That's yeah. too bad because um, Phil's I wonder, good and funny. I uh, agreed on both, uh, on both counts, um, I wonder um, if he would think twice about it now. Yeah. I don't know the answer to that question and I don't know if he would do it or I don't know if he would gauge the audience uh, and make the choice, uh, make make a game time decision.
1: So you um, you don't you don't feel a cold wind blowing. You're just saying that's the evolution of the world, and and that, that's the way. Like you, you're not um, spooked by it, or it's I saw just, it is what spooked, it is. No,
0: I saw, but uh, you adjust to it. Uh, you have to adjust. Um, and uh, I saw uh, two edits of an interview um, with uh, Red Skelton on the Tonight Show. They're both available on YouTube. Um, uh, and I don't think the fact that there are two edits was intentional. I think one is just the full interview was finally released, and one was an abbreviated version, an edited version. Uh, And the edited version is uh, uh, especially charming. Uh, Red Skelton is funny um, and delightful. uh, And uh, the full interview um, has a few lines and words in it um, and references, uh, and I don't, uh, I'm not suggesting a Red Skelton was being racist, but um, he was referencing things from his era um, uh, in a way that uh, that even I was watching now um, and feeling a bit uncomfortable. So I found it interesting that uh, with one edit, take out those two lines, however many there were, um, uh, and the person comes across one way. And then the full interview, um, you get a little glimpse of something else. Um, uh, we're living, uh, and, and again, I don't think it's that he was revealing uh, something about his personality uh, that was problematic. I just think he was um, uh, talking more openly about stuff in the past. Um, all that to say, uh, uh, at the time when that interview aired, I don't think it would have resonated negatively with anybody. Right. Um, because of the era. Somebody decided, right. I'll just tighten this up in case these two things he mentions are, are right. considered offensive. Right. Um, so adjustments are made, uh, for sure. Um, and, uh, uh, uh I think intent also has to be, uh, mm-hmm. considered, uh, profoundly. Um, I think people can make honest mistakes, uh, on stage, uh, with no hate in their heart, uh, no intent to offend. Um, and, uh, uh I think that was always true. I think it's true today. Um, do I feel a cold wind blowing? Uh do I think it's the end of comedy as an art? No. Do I think painting is over? No. Do yeah. I think music is over? No. I think it will adjust and evolve in its own, on its own path. You got to you got to stop throwing shit on the paintings though. You got to stop
2: doing yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The soup the soup on the yeah, the uh, soup on the, uh, on the on the Van Gogh that yeah. Yeah. doesn't fly. Yeah, yeah.
0: No. Yeah.
1: Did you, were you a student of of uh
0: I think you could end that question is at were you a student <laughs> after this interview? By the way, were you a student? Because yikes.
1: No, were you a student of comedy? Like I, uh, I, I grew up in an era where I couldn't wait for Johnny to come out from behind the curtain. and I couldn't wait to find out who, you know, he usually had a stand up on. yeah, and and he was the kingmaker at the time. That's what everybody worked towards. I, I've heard Letterman say it. I've heard Seinfeld say it. That all they wanted was they needed to get a polished seven minutes yeah. so they could get on Carson and change their life. Were you it, a student
0: of that era? Uh, yeah. uh, because I came into stand-up through a back door through magic, yeah. Yeah. not as much as you. Um, certainly it's common knowledge now that those days are done. You yeah. don't do one no. late-night television appearance and your career is made. Um, at the time, after you did Carson, you know, you, tri- you tripled your rate, you were starting yeah. to do corporate shows. Um, th- none of that's true anymore. Those are certainly uh, important opportunities, uh, but not career makers the way they were. Um, uh, and I romanticize that area era rather when I think back about uh, the Carson Tonight Show. And, of course, you know, Johnny Carson, uh, uh, there have been lots of biographies written and um, documentaries made and uh, was was not a perfect person by any means. No. Could Johnny Carson... Could that Johnny Carson um, survive in today's era with his personal baggage and challenges? I don't know. Uh, when I look back at the era, I romanticize it. Mm-hmm. I see I see uh, I don't see past the fourth wall. Um, and I do miss uh, the absence of a fourth wall uh, uh, today to a degree. Uh, uh, it just doesn't exist anymore. And I wouldn't mind not knowing everything about everybody right.
1: There, there was a. I, I remember when um, Andre Philippe Gagnon went on Carson. Sure. I re- the, that, that was the talk of Quebec for months. Yeah. Um, and I remember. Also, he killed it. It was he, a he great did. set. Yeah. And, yeah. and I remember holding my breath when he came out yeah. for him. And I remember when Rothpan was on. And I was everything I could do not to jump off the couch and go, I know him. <laughs> so know, there the... he is on, on Carson.
0: Rothpan was the first from our era yeah. to get the Tonight Show. And we all gathered at a uh, now defunct bar. Um, I'm blanking on the name, but it doesn't matter. It's long gone. Uh, and uh, to watch. Um, uh, so there, I don't know how many comedians there were in the room, 20 or 25 of us at this bar uh, watching in real time at whatever it was, yeah. 11 at night, 1130 um and uh, the other people in the bar didn't know what was happening but we had them change all the TVs over to the tonight show and it kind of spread through the bar that it was a montrealer on and it was his first time on the tonight show and everybody got quiet and yeah. all these tables it wasn't just us jeff's friend it was everybody around us uh, and Jeff also smoked his yeah, set that yeah. night. He absolutely—I don't remember how many applause breaks, but yeah. we were counting applause breaks. Yeah. So the, it, it, that's cur, uh, for people listening who yeah. want, haven't done stand-up. Applause breaks are currency for a comedian. Wait, was and, it still
2: and, Carson or was it Jay Leno at that point? No, it, it was, was Leno.
0: It was Leno at yeah. that point. Was it Leno uh, yeah, at that point? Par, Yeah. Pardon me. I okay. might have said Carson, but yeah. it was Leno. Yeah. Uh, and 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 so he'd get his first applause break, and all the comedians would go one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, What's <laughs> going on here, and he'd get another applause break two. <laughs> that's great. No idea what was going on, but I remember the energy in that room was electric and by the end of the set of course he had killed for the whole room right um and everybody applauded and cheered so uh so that energy you're you're talking yeah. about with andre philippe I, Gagnon, we lived I miss it with that. jeff yeah i miss yeah. that
1: because you 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 hold your breath for jeff yeah and when the applause break comes you exhale yes <laughs> you know because yeah. you think okay he's doing it yeah yeah there, there was yeah. that was an era that's long gone and, and i think missed
0: well, conversely things can go badly on uh, those experiences yeah. I remember a wonderful comedian uh who's still a terrific comedian a great writer by the name of um, uh and you're uh, you're gonna you're gonna sidetrack this based on his name uh, but his name's Marty putts uh-huh. uh, and puts used to work uh he I believe he wrote for just for last as well he did yeah. all sorts of shows and finally after years and years of doing stand-up got the Tonight Show and Marty Potts was um, a prop comedian very original um uh, and, uh, his opening bit, uh, I won't do it justice, but physically what happened was he grabbed an iron and he would iron half of his face, um, and half of his face was flat and then he'd move on <laughs> to his next thing. And there was context for this, which I'm not, I, I don't remember, but my point is after all these years of slogging, um, he finally got the night to the tonight show and he was on and he grabbed his iron and the thing broke. It all broke. And the whole thing fell apart in his oh hands and his opening bit broke. And this, I have no idea how long this prop had been functioning at bars and restaurants and comedy clubs, but it decided it wouldn't hang on for one more show, The Tonight Show. Oh, so he was thrown off by it. He ended up doing absolutely fine, but I remember watching that, and my my heart dropped yeah. into my stomach, and I just thought, you couldn't hang on for one more show, yeah. Yeah. you piece of plastic. You piece of shit. A plastic, plastic. Pl- Exactly. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know if we could swear on this podcast. See you Montrealer, Dave? Marty uh, has been to Montreal a lot. Yeah. He's a Canadian, but okay. not a Montrealer. Right. Pat
1: yeah. Patty was a massive uh, fan of his
0: and, yeah. a, and a good friend of his. Yeah, I'm not yeah. surprised. Terrific yeah. guy. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. So, so it doesn't always work out on the Tonight no. Show.
1: No, no. That's that. That's a that's a tough thing to watch as an audience member. I remember standing behind the curtain at the Montreal show, and you know, you were guaranteed with you know you Rogers. And Sean Keene, DJ McCarthy, and DJ Absolutely. Joey, and, uh, Joey, oh, yeah. and,
0: and Heidi Foss, and
1: and all of those names. Yeah. And I remember one. You know, I didn't know anything about comedy, and all I knew was going on that stage for me was terrifying. I thought, how do you go out there, and you have all these eyes looking at you, like, okay, entertain me, hotshot. You know, make right. me laugh. It's it's quite terrifying. And I remember coming off the, you know, coming off the stage as the host. And I forget which comedian it was, but grabbed me by the arm and said, how are they? <laughs> and I thought, who? How are who? <laughs> <I'm> like, what? <laughs> He's the audience. How are they? The audience. How's the room? And I, I didn't understand that right. until, you know, we had hosted a few right. of those events. And I understood that there was, a, there was a, a temperature to be taken as the host. You were supposed to take the temperature of the room and try and fire them up and get them.
0: Right. Certainly, get them. Fo- I mean, the primary right. goal of a host is is just to get everybody functioning as right. a unit. So, right. uh, so a host doesn't necessarily have to kill comedically. No,
1: no, no, no. Um, I don't, yeah. knew nobody
0: was there to see us. They were there to see the comedians. I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not so sure that having uh, uh, recognized lo- local personalities. Mm. Uh, I th- I think uh, uh, people probably Hell- were there and were happy to see you. Yeah,
2: um, no one was there to see you do shtick. No because they know that they were that there I can to see. It's like it's Terry DeMonte, the show morning man. Right. Yeah. That's cool. Right.
1: Yeah. That's true.
2: You were there to say good evening and yeah, thanks yeah. for coming yeah, out right. You're yeah, in for a great absolutely. show. Yeah, they're, You they're, weren't they're there, they're there they're to know. go. Where are you are from? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. Exactly. And thank yeah. you for not doing that. A priest. <laughs> yeah. A priest and a ra- no no. Hang, hang on. on. Oh, a Lord. clown. A priest and a cut his mic. Get a red light. Cut the mic. I want to. I want you to get. I want you to explain the red light moment. But the other thing I remember. Um, and this was a point I wanted to make. There is nothing worse than watching a comedian die on stage. There is such a horror to being in the audience or behind the curtain side stage going, Oh Jesus, he's not going wild. Well. <laughs> this is not going well. That it's a special kind of misery, I would imagine, for a stand-up comedian. And and I think it's unique to that craft.
0: Uh, you're right. Because if you're a musician, you have the guitar to fall back on. Um, if you're a magician, you have the card trick to fall back on. Um, for somebody to completely die, um, the audience isn't just not liking your jokes. They also don't like you. Ah, okay. So that is the particular pain of bombing on stage. It's one thing to do to get a, a, to have a three on 10 set or a four on 10. It means they like you, they were hoping it would be better, but they're not into the jokes. If it's a zero or less, they don't like you. And that is a real uh, pain. Um, And I think you're right. I think it's unique to stand up. Um, But what happens is, I mean, stand up uh, in some ways is the highest highs and the lowest lows from night to night. Um, Although in theory, uh, you don't have those lowest lows uh, as often, the more experienced you get. Um, You also learn to dull the edges on those. Um, So... A real bomb or a, or a, a bad show uh, uh, isn't as painful as it was when you first started, uh, the more experienced you get. You learn how to manage that. The problem with that is um, you that, that also dull, dulls the edges on the highest highs. So it's also hard to get that elation that you used to get when you really kill. Uh, so there is a bit of a compromise there.
2: What do you think of that? Well, I, I'm, I'm
1: I'm fascinated by it, and I, I don't mean to, you know, I don't mean to turn the podcast into, you know, a technical examination of the craft of stand-up comedy. But these are all, you know, these are all things that always fascinated me from being not in it, but close enough to watch it from behind the curtain. Right. That gives you an interesting C- Certainly invested in it. Yeah. Right? If not in it, yeah. you were invested and, in it. And I yeah. felt, and I know Ted did too, we, we felt invested in it. We felt like we were helping the local comedy scene. We talked about the clubs on the radio. Yeah. We tried to have comedians on the radio. You know, the Montreal show, I think we did it for 18 years.
2: We did it for a long time. Wasn't that yeah. many? Yeah, well, well you, uh,
0: uh, you folks, um, uh, the comedy community knew that you had our backs. Uh, and there was one, one other Montrealer hilarious. who did and continues to also, and that's Bill Brownstein yes. uh, from the Gazette. Yeah, Always had the local community's back for stand-up, yeah. um, and, uh, uh, and we always appreciated it.
2: Yeah, You know, another guy who we haven't mentioned, he wasn't from the same uh, uh, posse that... Uh, that you were from and that we spoke of earlier, but he wasn't long on your heels with Sugar Sammy, who's gone on to yeah. huge success. Oh, yeah. Huge yeah. I mean, success. You, you can't
0: yeah. be more famous from Montreal. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, certainly in, in uh, uh, I imagine he also is quite well known in English as well, but certainly in French Canada and over in France, he carried that over magnificently. Um, and you're right. He was he dabbled in stand up, I guess, around that time, but really committed to it a little bit after that. I don't know too much about his uh, yeah, his story, it, it but I know it was our where second go up. around yeah.
2: at Shom that we yep. had Sammy on the show yep. one day, and he used to he, he made fodder of that from his shows. He would say, "I was on Shom with Terry and Ted, and people were calling up and going, who's that guy? What's his name? Super Packy? Is he <laughs> 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 is he at your club tonight? Yeah. We'd like to see him.' <laughs> Thank
1: God. Well, he tells a great story of having uh, to take the bus to the gigs. And sure. he, he would be on the one oh five on Sherbrooke going yeah. up to wherever and and uh um and then said the the he always tells me this. Um he was on one Friday plugging the weekend gig and he said he got recognized on the bus. Hey, you're that guy that was on show this morning with Terry and Ted and and has always been grateful to, you know, that little tiny bit of support. Yeah, right. Yeah, but he's always he, yep. he mined a he's he is the quintessential Bill one oh one kid. And yeah. and he mined that for all it's worth in such a clever way. And to your point about um, people have to like the guy on stage, right? People love Sugar Sammy absolutely, and he, yeah. he the, you know, he can get away with, you know, going after the Greeks, the separatists, the Frenchmen, the Italians, the. Punjabis, whatever it is. Well don't, and, don't and get kid to...
0: yourself. He's getting flack. Yeah, Absolutely. he is. He's timer. getting flack. Yeah. And yeah. I, I don't yeah. mean that uh, he's uh, uh, I'm not suggesting that you're not right about uh, about people liking him and getting Absolutely. away with it, but he's but he's taking He's taking, getting his, some blowback. He's, he's yeah. taking yeah. his bullets too. But yeah. but
1: he knows exactly what he's doing. Absolutely. And that's fuel for the car. Yeah. In in my opinion, yeah, the more people lash out and 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 the more people who scream about what he's doing. That, to me, that just drives ticket sales as far as
0: I'm concerned. It does, but once they get in the room, you have to be funny. Yeah. Um, So it drives ticket sales, but he delivers, exactly. And he he delivers
1: in a big, big way. And if you've seen his clips all over social media... Part of it is the massive smile that comes across sure. his face. Sure. And he's the likeable. warmth that yeah. so generates. charming. he's yeah. so, such a likable, likable man. And
0: a, and a comfort level. We talked about this yeah. prior to the con uh, the, the podcast, but there's a comfort level that he walks on stage with. It's not arrogance. Yeah. Um, it's confidence. Uh, uh, it's confidence, but it's it's the confidence sort of born out of repetition, and uh, and and when he walks out, uh, the audience is mean, even if they've never heard of Sugar yeah. Sammy or seen him, the audience is immediately mean, put at ease. They're yeah. like, I know this guy's going to be good. I can feel it by how he's walking to the microphone. Yeah.
1: Bob Hope and Seinfeld both made reference to that. That makes sense. Saying the audience is already with you. Yeah. So yeah. I remember somebody asking Jerry Seinfeld in an interview I watched about nerves. And he said, "No, nah, they. You know, I know they're already. As I walk out, they're already with me." He said, "I can't, you know, I I can't just um, wing it. Right. I, I have to have a good material. Right. But for the first five minutes, they're on they're on my side already. Right. And, well, and Hope used to say that. Apparently,
0: what's so, changed now, I think, with that is it's not five minutes anymore. No." Um, uh, so attention spans have gone on. So maybe yeah. that'll buy you five minutes yeah. in 1950, 60, 70. Right. Now it buys you 30 seconds yeah. to a minute. Wow. yeah,
1: That's unbelievable. Those yeah. are different times. Heidi right?
0: Foss tells a story. You were talking about Sugar Sammy being recognized on the 105, and that was a breakthrough for him. Um, uh, Heidi Foss tells a story about uh, when she was first starting out, she was uh, also waitressing um, at a, um, I think it was, Predominantly a, a dessert place. I don't know if anybody heard that on the podcast. But yeah, <laughs> this could be our last. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, they're uh, dragging furniture or something yeah, upstairs. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, uh, she talks about uh, the first time she was recognized, but it was a more negative experience. It was a you know, a people around the table and saying, uh, "Hi, we saw your show tonight. <laughs> oh yeah, get us some pie." <laughs> <laughs> it was it was one of those. You're <laughs> like, huh? Eh.
1: Do you do you um, do you have a memorable heckle? Um, not, not, I mean, have you been heckled with something where you thought to yourself,
2: yeah, that's pretty good? Take, take some time and think about it. Sure. Let's do a couple of commercials yes, while we're have uh, to sorts that. that out. Yeah. yeah. What do you I'm, want to I'm start? I'm really with?
0: worried about the rumbling now that David's playing. Oh, well, yeah. It's, it's it's not, yeah. <laughs> you're not rolling think, something might back not and forth yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe <laughs> you don't have to do this in the studio all the time. You know, you, you, know you can do a podcast with an iPhone and a Starbucks. Yeah, apparently.
2: Yeah. Dave, what's with you comedians taking, well, not you comedians. I mean, you and Joey. And, <laughs> what's with you, what's comedians? What's with you, comedians? You and Joey. How come you don't have cars? Why don't you drive? Why do you take the bus to Metro oh, everywhere uh, you go? Uh,
0: I uh, uh, live in cities. I take. Uh, I uh, rent a car when I need one, but I'm in downtown Montreal, and um, uh, it's not practical to own a car down well, there.
2: Well, we're driving you home today oh. in our 2020 Jaguar Ooh. XF sedan from Jaguar Land Rover Laval, one of our sponsors who give us a courtesy car whenever Terry comes into town. And I ferry him to and fro. Oh. So that's what we've got today. You can see the uh, the XF at Jaguar Land Rover Laval. You can see the uh, F-Type. That's the two-door sports car. That's a fancy beast, I'll tell you. Uh, there's a line of, of SUVs, the F-Pace, the I-Pace, and the E-Pace. Next time, I'm getting the 550-horsepower F-Pace. I've already told them that. Okay. And they said, oh, yeah. <laughs> is that
1: right? It's quite a sales pitch, Ted. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and then you go over to the Land Rover side, and you see the Defender, the Discovery, and the Range Rover. Uh, it doesn't get much better than that for British luxury vehicles. Uh, they also own McLaren Montreal. Those are pretty nice British. Uh, well, those are beyond British luxury yeah. vehicles. Yeah. Those are exotic cars. But uh, Jaguar Land Rover Laval is uh, where you want to go if you're in the market for uh, for a luxury vehicle Go there before you make a decision to buy anywhere and check out not only uh, the vehicles, but uh, the service, the customer service and the customer experience at Jaguar Land Rover Laval. Uh, The DQ Bellis Brothers, Nino and Renato, are the co-owners there. They're the nicest guys you'd ever meet, and uh, their personality filters down through the staff. Everyone there will greet you like you're walking into a high-end joint, but it's not like some of the – I think if you walk into a high-end – fashion or jewelry boutique in Paris. I'm told the first thing they do is they look at your watch and then they look at your shoes. Mm-hmm. Shoes, yeah. And yep. that's how they can tell whether you've got any business being in there yep. or if you're just in there to browse. Well, even if you're in their showroom to browse, Jaguar Land Rover Laval will be happy to show you around and get you a cappuccino and uh if you if you're interested in a car, great. And if not, well, thanks for coming by and having a look. Yep. Good folks. JaguarLaval.com and LandRoverLaval.com and we thank them. For their ongoing support of this podcast,
1: and that's uh, another uh, tenet of how Ted and I make our decisions about who we wanted to speak for over the years: is did we like the people behind the business? That was true at Jaguar Land Rover Laval. It's also very true of my friends at Matlab Honor. I met Norm, uh, who has this odd, uh, had this odd quality of being fascinated by a good night's sleep and mattresses and all the things that have to do with getting a good night's sleep. That, that was his passion? Yeah. All What's goes- your passion? He yeah. enjoy- <laughs> <laughs> goes all the way back to, you know, over almost 30 years ago now, and they delivered mattresses and a pickup truck, and then he got a small store on uh, Gwen Boulevard in St. Genevieve, which is still there, by the way, um, and built this business through hard work and kindness and respect for his customers and that's what you get when you go into a met on our store you'll get a really nice shopping experience you'll be greeted with uh, manners and kindness and a nice welcome and they'll ask you some questions about what you're looking for uh is it a mattress is it linens that they can help you with you need a new pillow would you like to try out mattresses they'll ask you a couple of questions about what you're sleeping on now and how you like to sleep. Do you sleep on your side? Do you sleep on your back? Uh, Don't be offended. They're just trying to steer you to the right place in the beautifully designed stores. And then they leave you alone. They make you comfortable so you can wander from mattress to mattress without being hounded by a sales staff that won't leave you be. I know that's a tough decision to make. You're flopping around on mattresses in a strange place, Trying to decide uh, if you're
0: gonna. How many times have you been flopping around on mattresses in a strange place,
2: Dave? Have you lost count yet? I gotta
0: tell you, I feel like I'm flopping around on a mattress in a strange place right now. If you shop for
1: a mattress, you know what I'm saying. It's not. It's not an easy thing to decide. You know, you're gonna buy a mattress you're gonna be on for ten years. You want to have the MATLAB on our shopping experience, and there are locations on and off the island. All around the Greater Montreal area, a family-run Quebec-owned business that deals largely with Canadian suppliers. You'll be proud to shop there and proud to shop, to uh, buy a mattress there. Start at matlabonner.ca. I'm gonna ruin my commercial there. Sorry, for a man. <laughs> we
2: were heckling you. That's right. That was my segue
0: into today's nice. worst heckling experience. Nice. I need more time. Yeah,
1: you have a memorable heckle. I, I uh. Not really. I no. mean,
0: heckles heckles come out organically, um, and in the moment they might be memorable, and you have to address them. And they're
1: they're rarely clever. Well, and, and
0: rarely, also
2: David's so good on his feet yeah. on stage. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I uh, I remember uh, there's a comedian out of Boston by the name of Rick Jenkins who tells a story about um, telling a joke that uh, uh, a lady in the front row was offended by, um, and he said, uh, "I'm sorry." Uh, and he genuinely apologized. I'm sorry. I, I realized that probably that might have offended you. And she said, "I'm not offended. I'm just disappointed." <laughs> and he said, "That one stayed with me for a while. Seriously. I don't know if it's a heckle, but yikes! <laughs> that's, that sat right that's there." That's like,
2: sorry, mom. Yeah. Wow.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Do you have favorites when you look back at the history of, of comedy? Do you do you, are there comedians that you were drawn to and think, oh my god, this guy is so good at it?
0: I don't... Pound for pound, I don't think anybody's ever been funnier than Norm Macdonald. Uh, I don't... We are just talking uh, I, I, I just... Uh, and his last set on Letterman uh, uh, was a masterclass. I probably... I watched it in real time when it aired, and I probably watched it 20 more times online. Uh, it was a masterclass uh, of stand-up. Um, it had realness to it. It had a bit of emotion that even he seemed uh, surprised by. Um, uh, uh, but but pretty much everything he's ever done, I've found uh, hilarious and inspiring. Uh, there's not too many guys at that level. Yeah, um, uh, I, he would be the first name I'd pull out. That's did for
2: you sure. get to know him at all, Dave?
0: Not at all. We never never crossed met him. Has one? Really? I think oh, really? we were we were both doing a show at Club Soda. I think at the same time at Just Her Laughs one year, and I think we walked past Uh, each other. That's the extent of my encounter with Norm. Uh, But he did uh, tweet. um, His first headlining weekend was at the Comedy Nest Mm -hmm. uh, back in the days when Ernie owned it. um, And um, he did, I would say, I want to say 2017, 2018 he tweeted a shout out to the Comedy Nest for being the first club to ever headline him. Wow. Nice. So there is there is a history uh, with him in Montreal. That would have been in the eighties. I have to assume. Yeah, because yeah. I'm he was nineteen on... eighties. By the way. Yeah.
2: <laughs> he was to be more saying. specific. When was he on SNL? Mid nineties. Yeah. That, well, yeah, he was right. making OJ jokes yeah, on right. uh, on, right. on Weekend Update. Yeah. He right. was.
1: I I went to see him. He was in uh, at a club in Calgary when I was in Calgary sure. in two thousand nine. He was doing a he was doing the sure. club circuit back He's, then. He still
0: did clubs. Uh, uh, I mean, I can't speak to his, uh, his but la- last couple of years necessarily, yeah. but I know he was at a club, at Rick Bronson's club in Edmonton, you know, 2018, 2019. So he was definitely doing rooms. Yeah.
1: We, yeah. Were, we were just, Ted and I were just talking about him yesterday and making a reference to uh, uh, 9-11 Airlines. He did. Did
2: you ever see that clip? I think it I was think actually, so. it's on it YouTube his, yeah, and it says, it says Norm, uh, uh, cut from Norm McDonald's podcast. So yep. I wow. think they cut the clip it really, and it ended up, it's like a bootleg clip that yeah. ended up on YouTube of wow. his podcast. And he's sitting there with two other comics. And he says, uh, and I won't do this any justice because I'm not Norm MacDonald. He goes, uh, for the second year in a row, uh, JetBlue has been named uh, the airline with the best uh, customer service. And he turns to the other guys and goes, you know, an airline that has the worst customer service? And the guy goes, no. He goes, nine eleven 9-11 Air. he goes what a terrible name for an airline reminds me of that tragedy (laughs) and one of the other comics goes Jesus! Jesus. <laughs> wow,
0: that's the best part. That's the it best is.
2: part. It is. Jesus!
1: Oh, I love I, that. I don't know where where we saw it or where it I was saw. on YouTube. And no, then no, he no, goes, no, no. Uh, "Yeah, go he ahead." Said, he
2: says, mm-hmm. "I was I walked through the streets of Manhattan through blood and bones looking for my brother. <laughs> oh. He was in Northern Canada." <laughs> oh God! <laughs> wow! Like it shouldn't be funny, but it is. Well, it's just because it's him and it's yes. the way he delivers it. Yeah. But again, the guy goes going
0: jesus, jesus. <laughs> that's fabulous uh, craftsmanship and yeah. i'll say it again intent intent yeah. Yeah. has a lot to do with it no well, hate in his heart no yeah, I, none
2: I, I none
1: great commentary and I, I don't know where i saw it but he was doing a whole thing on on uh uh boy wanting to become a girl and and <laughs> trans you know uh, the transgender uh topic that's this is recently, in other
0: words, it, yeah. It would have been this
1: it, yeah, prior to his death, of right. course, obviously. Um, and and uh, I I saw it on on YouTube, and uh, the you know again I won't do it justice. And he was talking about you know when a when a boy comes to you and says uh, you know I want to be a girl now and and I want to wear a dress and 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 then I, I just want to be a woman, and he p- takes a, a beat pause and goes. Uh, what about your cock? And only he could get away with it. He Jesus. was brilliant. Yeah. Uh, Jesus. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: you know what? What's interesting now is um, audiences are making decisions on jokes based on the setup sometimes. Okay. I'm not sure that happened as much in the past. Yeah. So uh, recently I've, I've heard comedians Uh, set up jokes about uh, pronouns, for example. Right. Um, And they'll just get into the setup and they'll mention pronouns, and the audience will decide before the punchline, we're not going with you on this. Yeah. Wow. Um, So that's something that's changed when you talk about a cold wind blowing. Right. Right. Um, Audiences are making decisions uh, sooner on whether they're going to stay on the bus with you or not. So Not necessarily for the set as a whole, but for a particular joke. That's a
2: second show in a downtown comedy club on Saturday night audience versus... The Huntington Legion audience, I would think. No,
0: yeah, I mean, I'm I'm talking about stuff I've witnessed at the comedy yeah, nest. So, yeah. so certainly you're talking yeah. about. A, but a, when a you urban. talk
2: about an audience, uh, like a, as you know, Dave, a, a room. Physically, the the room itself, the physical room, but also the audience de- can develop a singular personality, a, a, right? And
0: at the best of times, they do. Sometimes it's it goes wrong, but yeah. yes, normally yeah. uh, you want an audience to come together as a unit. in yeah, some Yeah, I other. would
2: think that a young urban audience would be less likely to be on board with a pronoun joke than an older rural audience,
0: right? And they will decide collectively. We don't know yeah. where you're going with this. We're not sure it's going to be offensive, but we're yeah. not we're not going to stay on this bus. We're mm. going to get off the bus for this joke. Uh, and that, as I say, that's been happening more. Uh, 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 more and more uh, certainly I've seen it happening more. And I assume as if it's happening in Montreal, it's happening everywhere. Yeah. I'm Although,
2: surprised anyone would even go there in a, in a comedy club I, in, I, in a big
0: city. I'm not even sure. And the, in the example that I cited, I'm not even sure he kept going. He might right? have just decided to just to go up yeah. to, to get off the bus himself. Yeah. It's like, well, this, yeah. this bus is stalled. I guess yeah. I'll get off with you. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's interesting.
1: Um, I'd like to talk a little bit more about magic. Um, are, do you have books to plug,
0: by the way? I have uh, my last magic book was in 2011. I okay, think I mentioned yeah, in 2012. That, so, yeah. so that and and also the books that I wrote were for magicians. It's very niche market. Yeah. So, two thousand copies worldwide would yeah. be considered a bestseller. Wow. Um, so, can you still get them? Uh, yeah, uh, the, my if first I... couple of books are out of print. Yeah, yeah, you could find. You probably can find the latest one. Um, but there, but I will tell you that there, my books are not for uh, people just starting out. There, no. there's. Fairly challenging sleight of hand, um, so I wouldn't if it's if it's if you have a kid who's interested yeah. in magic. And by the way, if you have a kid who's interested in magic and you're listening to this, uh, magic helps develop all sorts of sensibilities, physical dexterity, uh, mental agility. Um, interact. It forces you to interact with people. It's a really good thing for kids to adopt and adapt. Um, but don't start with my books. Go to go yeah. to Indigo. Go online, look for a good, solid beginners magic books,
2: and then graduate to yeah. the David yeah. magic books if,
0: if you want to. Or, or maybe, or maybe your uh, son or daughter will decide uh, that they had fun with it for a year, but they'll move on. But that year will be worth their while. It's worth it. You,
2: let's it's, do the tweet sheet while I'm thinking of it. Shall we? You
0: didn't bring cards, eh? Just, I didn't. I didn't
1: even think you'd it, want yeah.
0: to I uh, anything up your sleeve? Um, uh, <laughs> uh, nothing. I want to share publicly. Um, I, um, uh, I forgot that podcasts have a video component. Yes. Um, so that, uh, they can, and, yeah. they my, can. my, well, bad. this one does. We
2: may, we yeah. may have an open deck. I'm going to go take a look. Okay. okay. I do remember,
0: right. uh, I do remember, um, doing a radio show, uh, yeah. not long ago and, and the, uh, and the announcer asking if I would do a trick. And I, I yeah. remember saying on the radio, yeah. It was an awkward moment.
2: Yeah, it's it was c- kind of like when you have Yuppie
0: in. Yeah. Is that what right. you're going to say there? <laughs> yeah, Yupi.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: right. Thanks,
1: Yuppie. But you can't That's even great. hear that yeah. because yeah. you have no. the big body hands. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Or tennis. Tennis is
1: great on the radio. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: I
2: think I listened to tennis on the radio. Well one they do time. it now. Yeah. But it used year, to be
1: a joke in radio. You used to say, Yeah, so this is bad, bad as tennis it, coverage. The year the but Canadian. At least you can wander. hear the ball. I mean you hear yeah. movement, yeah. you can
2: yeah. hear when the ball. Well, and uh, if you have a good play-by-play announcer yeah, who knows absolutely. the game, yeah. you're gonna yeah. be able to follow along. Ping
0: pong would be challenging on the radio, yeah. oh although <laughs> maybe <laughs> yeah. more entertaining because you can hear the ball faster. Yeah.
2: I bet the Chinese would be good at that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Sorry, I had a joke Dave, years ago, I had a joke about this is one of my first jokes about um I guess whoever invented ping pong must have been pretty shit at it. Otherwise, it would have been called ping pong, 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 ping pong. Ping pong, 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 ping. Nice shot.
1: Are those… You got the cards? A souvenir deck. Okay. There you go. If you're… Now, we should say… Um, this podcast is available on all platforms. That's right, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, MySpace, MySpace, uh, your podcasts up your ass podcasts.
2: That's my
0: favorite. That, seemed, that seemed gratuitous. <laughs> it did, didn't it? Really did. And uh, I feel like you'd edit
1: that out if you had the option. <laughs> but also uh, on YouTube. So. There you go. Yeah. If you're watching on it on YouTube Where are we I, at? How many uh, minutes waved, in are we, Poseidon? Waves at the camera. Don't worry about it. And I was just
2: gonna I was just gonna say I was just gonna give people a timestamp if they're listening and they wanna yes. go to YouTube oh. and watch the trick. Yeah, oh, an I hour see. an hour and three minutes. There okay. So Around. we have
1: a deck of cards. If you're listening without video I'm handing David Acker. Yes. He's wearing a lovely pink shirt. I'll do the play-by-play. Here. Um, play.
2: Here's Devante yeah. passing the cards over to
0: Acker. There Acker with the
2: cards doing the shuffle now. So, And, and are we going to be participants?
0: <laughs> um, so any magician watching this uh, feels my pain right now. Okay. What They feel the pain <laughs> of somebody being handed a deck they've never handled before. Oh, okay. And more to the point... It's not a bicycle deck or a deck that magicians would typically use. It's a souvenir deck. So what's it, what's so a it, bicycle deck? Uh, a bicycle is a brand of deck. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it presents particular challenges. Okay. That said, I will try to do something right okay. now, and I'll try to do it with Ted because okay. he's directly across from okay. me. Okay. And to do that, Ted, I'm going to riffle up the corner of the cards here, Give and, me and I want you to just—laptops? I want you to. Yeah. There we go. Uh, I just want you to say stop anytime. I'm going to riffle up the corner. Sorry, I got to start again. Okay, anytime. Just see. Oh, oh, I think I'm so sorry. This so now the magicians feel my pain. Right, I can't even riffle up the corner. Okay, uh, without uh, so, but I'm gonna try. I'll. Do, well, let's do it faster. Here we go. Stop. You got a card? Yeah. You see one? Yep. Okay. I'm gonna give you the deck. I'm concerned that people think maybe I can see cameras or something. No, no, uh, no, no, no. If you're okay. listening, we're gonna try this together. Then <coughs> I'm gonna try to read your mind. Yeah. Uh, but let me just I think. I think I have it. Um, I'm going to try to determine what card you saw. It's only in your mind right now. (laughs) Excuse me. Uh, We'll start with the color. That's the easiest thing. Um, uh, I'm going to say it's either red or black. I'm going to say black. Give me another chance. (laughs) Um, I'm going to go with red. Red is correct. All right. (laughs) Red, if I concentrate a little bit harder, I don't think it's a diamond. I'm going to say it's a heart. It is a heart. Very good. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to say, uh, I'm not seeing a lot on the card. I'm going to have to go with, and it feels like a good card. You feel confident. Uh, I'm going to go with the Ace of Hearts. Was it the Ace, Hearts? The Ace of Hearts? Was the Ace of Hearts? Oh. <laughs> <one>? <laughs> God damn. Very good. That's very good. A, how did, very good. did it. Yeah. Holy did wow. it. shit. All right. <coughs> how did you that's do? It. And
1: that, I could see that that was a challenge for you. <laughs> it because was. It was hard to riffle yeah. up the corner. Because yeah. it's yeah. a very, um, uh, it's, it's almost new and shiny, and the cards are not very pliable. No,
0: it feels like this is, was just broken out of a box. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, I can normally spring cards from hand to hand, but we're going to yeah. do this in real time. Either it's going to happen well or yeah. it's not. But hey. I'm going to. I'm I'm up to the challenge. Here we go. So this is going to work, go. or we're going to do. Oh, so that's not hey, bad. That's so really good. They're, they're not as badly broken yeah. as, uh, okay. in as I expected. Oh, it's there. not so bad. There you go. Um, I so like that are. fan thing. Can you do that yeah, again? Yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't yeah. catch it on yeah. the camera. What am I doing? Oh, the, I do oh, the oh, fan yeah. thing. I should catch it on camera. So this, yeah, is, yeah, okay. this is the kind of stuff when you start out with card yeah. magic that you learn, and uh, it's not instantaneous, I can Why? tell you that. Know. You do this over your bed for about three weeks okay. as the cards spray everywhere. Play a lot of 52 pickup? Yeah. Absolutely. Was that, were you thinking of that one? And you were <laughs> <about it? laughs> That's what I thought. Very good. Uh, there we go. Magic with a borrowed deck. All right. Okay, Thanks. All right. That was cool. That I, have, was very... I like, it was I like only, mentalism. It was the only open deck that I could find. Uh, well, no, it works perfectly. Done, I'm, I, I'm a big fan of mentalism. Uh, I have, I can, uh, I can, don't know how old you are. I could try to determine your age okay. Okay, psychically. Would you be okay with me trying that? I am. Okay, I'm going to use right. this notepad for this. Okay. All right. Uh, number one, I need to know two things for this. Number one, okay. what is your zodiac sign? What is your sign? Capricorn. Capricorn. Excellent.
1: It's a nice pen you have.
0: Thank you. So it looks, looks like a raggedy end pin. It
2: looks
0: like yeah. Dave. Uh, he had right yep. Uh, second thing I need to know, what year were you born? <laughs> it helps me forge a psychic link. I'm not good at mentalism. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> hey, Dave, are you on Twitter?
0: I am. I okay. tweet a lot. I love tweet. I love tweet. You love tweet? I love tweet. Yeah. You, you love tweet? <laughs> You,
2: there must be something you, going on with the algorithm because I know, I, I yeah, as soon as I asked you that, was, I've seen you on Twitter. Sure. I've, tweet, I've tweeted some of retweeted some of your Absolutely. stuff, but I haven't it's, seen you lately. It's I a great
0: know. form for um, uh, uh, short-form jokes. Uh, it's a great yeah. form for that. Lots of comedians use it for uh, uh, as an exercise in writing, frankly, yeah. or a, a, a platform for writing.
2: I do something on my morning show on Light 106.7 called The Tweet Sheet, where we take three funny tweets and we uh, share them with the audience and for this show, we take the ones that you can't use on the radio because they're too salty, and we use them on this show. So I've got three that I thought would be uh, would be uh, good for this particular episode. I'll okay. be curious
0: to to hear what you consider salty. They're gonna uh, they're gonna come up on All the right. uh, on the screen uh, right behind you here,
2: of those two handsome squinting men. Mm-hmm. Going, what the hell is this that is, over this there? This is why you
0: don't do photo shoots in the sun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> From just hat- a second. Okay.
2: I just want it to be perfect for everyone. Okay, go ahead. From at DVS Blast. FAQ, frequently asked questions for Laundry Hot Dog, the hot dog you can eat while doing laundry. Question, won't the laundry police see? Answer, no worries. Laundry Hot Dog has a special diode that jams their signals. Question, my diode broke. (laughs) Answer, you son of a bitch. You dumb son of a bitch. You've led them right to us. We're fucking dead.
0: (laughs) That is outstanding. (laughs) Isn't it?
2: Laundry hot dog. Where do you come up with that, eh? From at Adam C. Sharp. Cute animal rhymes to say farewell. In a while, crocodile. Toodaloo, kangaroo. Ciao for now, Jersey cow. Why you still here, white-tailed deer? Just piss off, Gypsy Moth. <laughs> Go to hell, Red Gazelle. Kiss my hole, Woodland Vole. Off you fuck, Crested Duck.
0: <laughs> this is a good example of once, once we were at the second one, I was already looking forward to what was yeah, coming yeah, next. Yeah, it's yeah. just a great setup.
2: Yeah, isn't yeah. it, though? And I really like this one a lot. From at Jitspool, I want to start a new category in Special Olympics where deaf people have to find and fuck each other in the complete dark.
0: <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> salty. Yeah. That's, that's salty. That's yeah. going to be the new safe word, I think. Yeah, yeah David? <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Norm. Yeah,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> we uh, we have to. Uh, we how was it
2: we have to say hi to Voswin.
1: I'm sorry
0: my translator is yeah. coming in now Hang yes. on.
1: <laughs> we want to uh we want to just to take the opportunity to thank uh, uh a couple of more supporters this this one surprised the hell hello to me you love this story David I, we get a call from uh uh Sean at a company called Voswin, and he said you know we love we love the podcast we listen to the podcast at work and uh we'd maybe like to look into becoming a supporter of the podcast and I said what do you do and he said well we're we're all engineers. We're mechanical engineers. We we help people bring inventions to life. And I thought you've clearly dialed the wrong number. <laughs> I don't know what you want with us, knuckleheads. But but you know what? It he's, turns out.
2: Yeah, he has sponsored three seasons, wow. and he's gotten work. Wow. Through the podcast, people who listen to the podcast have called him up and said, "I have an invention idea." Or hi, I have an innovation idea, and I heard uh, I heard on the Terry and Ted podcast that you guys might be able to help me out.
1: How about that? Yeah, <laughs> that's wild.
2: <laughs> yeah, they're a technology strategy company. They make complex projects and innovation development become accessible. Uh, they can take you through production development. They can take you through uh, the marketing process. And uh, they also do what they call CTO-style service, Chief Technological Officer. Terry and I don't do that. Mm -hmm. You have to go to Voswin to get that. But if you have an invention idea or you have an innovation idea that you want to apply to an existing business and it has an engineering component and you don't know what to do about it, you go to Voswin and they help you out with it. Mechanical Engineering and Design, Electrical Engineering and Design, Industrial Engineering and Design, Software Development, inexpensive packages to help with solidifying your vision and developing requirements voswin.com call them up einstein they'll help you out
1: also i like to i like to say vozwin
0: is that is that uh, an acronym or is it? No, no, it's name of the company, I guess. V
2: O Z W I N. Oh, it's name of the company, I guess. There's a good plug for our sponsor. I don't know.
0: <laughs> Call them. What do I know? You're obviously <laughs> the right people yeah. to sponsor. <laughs> I think that's the name of the company.
1: <laughs> and last but certainly not least, uh, got to tip our chapeau to the Mersons. Um, people ask me all the time what do I miss about Montreal, and there's so many things I miss about Montreal living out on the West Coast. Um, and the Mersons um, come to mind every season because I do put winter tires on, even though we don't have much of a winter in British Columbia. Um, and I think to myself, oh, I wish I could call Kara and so. Or if I'm having an issue with either my car or Jess's car, I think where are we going to take it? I don't want to be screwed by, you know, a big corporation or...
2: Unscrupulous uh, mechanic.
1: Yeah, and that's happened before. As a matter of fact, that's how I ended up at the Mersons. You know, a hundred years ago, um, when the horse and buggy I was driving, uh, you know, when I had trouble, you needed with, a new uh, wagon yeah, wheel. Yeah, <laughs> my, my, uh I had trouble and I took it to a mechanic I didn't know and I got ripped off. And somebody said, You should take it to Merson's. And I didn't know where the Merson's were and I didn't know anything about them. And that was back when Bonnie and Mark Merson were running the company. Uh, again, a family business. And now, Kara uh, uh, and her husband, Celso, Kara is Bonnie and Mark's daughter. Bonnie and Mark are, are semi-retired or mostly retired now. And now Kara is running the shop along with Celso and a really terrific staff. And you know when you take your car there, when they tell you you don't need brakes done, uh, you know they're telling you the truth. And they'll or, tell you when you do need yeah, them. Yeah, they'll, they'll say, you know, you're going to come back in the fall. By then, you'll probably have to have your brakes done. That's It's the kind of kindness and honesty and and, and genuinely really great service that you get and that's how they've lasted as long as
2: they've lasted. generations. Yeah. Yeah. MersonAuto.com. They're on St. Jacques, just west of Cavendish. As Andrew Carter likes to say, I'm going to st- uh, steal a line from Andrew. He likes to say, uh, mention my name and get a free blank stare.
0: <laughs> nice. <laughs> now, is Merson Auto an acronym? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Go ask them why don't you? Is, is the comedy nest
1: doing well, David? Is is
0: Thankfully, every uh,
1: weekend you got a. Yep, we have shows uh, five,
0: sometimes six nights a week, uh, depending on special programming on Sundays. Uh, The comedy nest is just fine. Uh, The pandemic was scary for all of us in live entertainment, both from the uh, business side and the performing side. Um, But thankfully, uh, we've made it through. um, And um, uh, look, we're in the uh, uh, we're in the Montreal Forum. Um, And uh, I will go on record as saying that they have been uh, incredible partners to deal with. They've been very generous with us, very kind to us, um, particularly during a period of time where uh, everything was very scary. Yeah.
1: If you want to bring in, um, like, I guess my question is, are comics coming to you or are you
0: booking comics? So when we first took over, it was very much us reaching out to people. Um, as the comedy nest uh, built itself up, um, the uh, that turned around. So now we have, um, uh, and in fact, that was a bit of a um, uh, a sign of a uh, of a turning point. Nice. And it happened quite a few years ago. But now, um, happily, uh, there are comedians who have done Tonight Show and Colbert and all these reaching out to us because they've heard that it's a good club to work and a good city to play. Good that's room, great. That's, that's room. great. Yeah. yeah. So
1: if you if you and Phil get together and say you know we we should bring Steve
0: Patterson in or you know bring Jerry D in or you know what what do you have to do to Now it's interesting that you mentioned those two names because both I'm not as sure about Jerry D but as I understand it Steve Patterson is predominantly playing theater so the trans, yeah. the 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 path for a comedian typically is any <clears throat> gig you can get yeah. then comedy clubs um, then uh, theaters and then ultimately if you can get to arenas or television or wherever that else leads uh, Steve Patterson uh, typically does theaters as I understand it I believe Jerry D does as yeah, well yeah. so you wouldn't see Steve Patterson um, uh, necessarily in a 150-seater yeah. comedy club of course we'd be delighted to have him yeah. Um uh, but, um, uh, isn't he a Montrealer? Well, he, he, he no,
2: he's a Torontonian who moved yeah. here he spent because uh, he met his wife. That's right. Yeah, he spent, years spent years in Montreal. Montreal. Yeah, I yeah. was just about yeah. to say he owes you a
1: debt of gratitude. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if he owes us anything. No, no, no. no but We'd I, be I honored mean, to have he, him. He came to Montreal and, and made a bit of a splash. Yep. And believe it or not, I think the debaters helped.
0: Oh, uh, 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 there's no uh, uh, disbelief on my part there. The the debaters, if it's not the most successful comedy radio show in North America, it's certainly got to be close to the top. It's a CBC show,
1: and it airs at... 11 o'clock, I think. Or
0: uh, uh, variously. Yeah. I'm not sure that's a word. Check it, it is your local listings. Yeah. Is yeah. it a daily
2: show? Uh, uh, it's weekly. Weekly. Um, that's what I thought. And
0: the format, I've done the debaters a few times. The yeah. format is they bring in two comedians, um, and they give them a topic, and they—and they, this is not done spontaneously. They have an opportunity to work on this, um, and they debate the topic. Sometimes the topics are serious, sometimes they're silly, but the results are always funny. And there's
1: a live audience.
0: Uh, Yes, they and, record in front of a live audience. And
1: it's a national show, so yeah. it's coast to coast to coast across the
0: country. They've that had is, uh, uh, exceptional talent yeah. uh, uh, on that show. I've done it three times, had a great time every time. The experience is amazing. Yeah. Um, and Steve is the host. I think the original host was Sean Majumder, who was also terrific. Yeah. Steve took over some years ago. Um, and, uh, it's I, a great gig. Uh, <laughs> it's a great gig, but yeah. he also brings... Uh, he's uh, Like the talk show hosts we talked about earlier... Yeah. He makes it look easy. There's more moving parts than than he lets on, uh, but he's particularly good at it, I agree. And
1: and in particular, kudos to the CBC because they're still doing... um, I got my start at the CBC. I would have never got off the ground without them. And uh, I know the CBC is highly criticized uh, in a lot of corners, but um, if you look as a student of radio, in most markets across the country where all the uh, uh, evil empires, corporations... Have given up on newsrooms. So big talk radio stations that were big presence, uh, big presence in many communities in Vancouver, in Calgary, in Edmonton, in Winnipeg, and Montreal, and Toronto. The uh, corporations cleaned out the newsrooms, got rid of all the reporters, uh, put children on the air who don't know news to take off a of Google, and CBC still has the resources and are, as a consequence of that, are becoming the most listened to news stations in all the markets across the country and are producing national radio shows that have, they touch the communities to which they broadcast, you know, things like uh, uh, Tom Power on Q, and uh, there's a number of other ones that I, you know, I, I steer away from from private radio now because they've, they've gotten rid of all the resources right and cbc still has them right and i think uh, the debaters is part of that part of that uh,
0: very much so programming and the, and, and happily uh, and this sometimes happens um uh in canada where um uh comedy outlets will focus on one market they'll draw from toronto they'll draw from vancouver mm-hmm. um uh, happily cbc um, uh debaters uh, pulls in comedians from across the country yeah. a very diver- d- diverse range right. geographically uh comedically and in all other senses. Is that senses. because
2: Steve's plugged into the comedy community or Uh
0: I don't uh Does he do the recruiting? I don't believe Steve does no. the recruiting. Uh I don't I'm not 100% sure of that but I'm fairly certain I believe they just have uh um, staff that knows yeah. comedy is always looking out looks on social media goes to the clubs and is aware of who might bring uh, not just funny to the uh, format, but also a particular voice and a particular perspective. They're very good at that.
1: And you've traveled the country, so you know, you, I Twice. think you'll agree with me. <laughs> uh, they, in every diff- the country is so big. Every region is different. And I think that's reflected in local comedy. If yeah. you're born and raised in Vancouver or Regina yeah. or Winnipeg or Montreal... yeah there's a flavor to your comedy that comes from where you you come from.
0: And some of that translates and some of it doesn't. Yeah. Also, also there, are, there are, you learn the first time you go across the country, a pace changes, pace yeah. of delivery. Yeah. So uh, one of the first things I learned years ago coming from Montreal where everything was fairly, you had to br- uh, deliver the jokes fairly quickly. Um you would um, uh, once you got to Alberta, once you got to BC, you had to slow down. They weren't interested in that pace. You could yeah. deliver the same jokes, yeah. but it had to be two two beats slower. Wow, that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And, well, yeah.
1: it's the, those are the people that are lining up for the Olive Garden at four thirty.
0: Yeah, I don't know.
1: It's just, I don't know. The factor of age, meaning no, no, no. Uh, meaning it's a slower pace of life. Yeah, it uh, is. It, it's one of the things that we've noticed since we've been out in British Columbia. We noticed. If you walk in downtown Vancouver, it's way different from walking in downtown yeah. Montreal. Yeah. It's, you know, when you walk in downtown Montreal, you have to keep up
0: a certain pace. Yeah. Or move to the left. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And get out of the he way. He doesn't mean politically necessarily. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, no question about it. There's, uh, there's and a I different would, pace. I would say slower, I'm not sure is entirely fair, more considered. Yeah. It's a more Maybe. considered yeah. pace, I think, yeah. would be the way I'd describe it. And I, and I, um, uh, and I agree with you about pedestrians. I feel in Montreal... Um, having learned, uh, to, and I'm, I'm a full-time pedestrian. Um, uh, I've learned, uh, I can, I can be a pedestrian and I can go to New York, which is the toughest pedestrian yeah. in the city. And yeah. I can pedestrian with the best of them. Yeah. Um, so you're right. Once you get into other cities, it's, you know, you're dragging behind. You're like, get out of the way. <laughs>
2: I'm emceeing a comedy show at an Alcoholics Anonymous convention this weekend. I was thinking maybe I'd slur the jokes. (laughs) Slur the jokes and then cry (laughs) and then fight them.
0: (laughs) Because of your history, you can
2: do this. That's right. That's right. Uh, he I like gets it. us, man. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
1: what is it you enjoy about the bus? Uh, the metro, I get
0: the bus. I j- I, do, I wish I had a bit for this that, okay. would, uh, that would lead us to a huge laugh. I don't enjoy the bus. Metro, okay, good. I love. Right. I don't take buses. Yeah,
1: I because yep. I, 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 Ted yep. said he. I said, "Where's David?" He said, "He's coming on the bus in metro, and metro." Sorry, I, metro, metro. I, yeah. yeah. All you have yep. to do is be on the 103 on, a, oh, on a Wednesday afternoon at five o'clock. You'll never take the bus again. No, and also,
0: <laughs> you know, not to toot my own, own horn, but you know, a guy like me who goes on a bus, I I I don't know if you guys remember, but I did a CTV special in 1996. Oh, so, yeah, so I'd be I'd be yeah, mobbed. that guy, I'd be yeah. mobbed. That's guy. That's the guy from yeah. 1996. <laughs> so, you know, I can't I can't just hop on a bus willy-nilly. Just... <laughs> yeah. David,
1: this has been absolutely terrific. I <laughs> Thank we've you wanted to me. have you on for a long time. You know, we we've, we've got a long Long-standing friendship and respect for you, and uh, we're just we're just thrilled that you were uh, uh, supportive of us all those years, and and we came became friends through the comedy scene. So we've been dying to
0: have you on. So thank you. I'm very lucky, thank and uh, and uh, I was very grateful for the opportunity to be on the internet. <laughs> I think it's called the webnet. Ah, got it. Thanks for having me. It's always great talking to you guys.
1: Bye, Ted. Bye, Ter. <laughs> Standing by, the Terry and Ted podcast has been brought to you by the UPS Store Canada, delivering more for small businesses in Canada.
2: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.